Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name is Adam. And my name is Jeremy. We are here to discuss Uncanny X-Men number 233, the on-sale date of May 3rd, 1988. The cover date is early September of 1988. It's got a cover price of a buck, and it is titled Dawn of Blood. Yeah, and on the cover of this one, you have a classic brood throwing a car at Colossus. Colossus looks like he's wielding another car as a baseball bat, and he's going to, I don't know, hit the other car with his baseball bat car. They're tossing cars at each other, man. Uh, Yeah, it's a, it's a cover. It's a comic book cover. So do you know, um, it's quiz time. So so X-Men is on sale twice a month now. Yep. Do you know what the other two comics are at this time that are also on sale twice a month? And I'll give you a hint. It's not a very good hint, but it's a hint. They are the most popular comics that Marvel is producing right now. Not not right now. In the, in the 80s. Okay. Um, um, well, I would have to... First, say that one of them has to be a Spider-Man title. Okay. Um, which one? I I would I guess I'd have to if if it's a Spider-Man uh, title, um, I would have to say it's probably Amazing Spider-Man. It's fair to say if it's a Spider-Man title, it's gonna be amazing. Right. Uh, and then for a second title, boy, that's a tough one. Is uh. Uh, is Punisher a a ongoing comic at this point? I believe there are at this point there might be two Punisher comic books. Oh, like Punisher and Punisher Warzone. Yeah, something like that, or War Journal. Maybe War Journal War hasn't Journal. happened yet. Maybe it's about to happen. I don't know. I lose track. Uh, well, boy, that's a I I, I uh, I'm probably going to be surprised, but I'll go with the Amazing Spider-Man and the Punisher. It is The Amazing Spider-Man and G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe is going to be my second guess, um, but I was trying to figure out where in the run they would be at this point, and uh, it was coming up blank. They are in the um, Invasion of Cobra Island when Serpentor and Cobra Commander are at each other's throats, but it's not the real Cobra Commander. It's Fred Zevin in a Cobra Commander disguise. And so there's like a civil war and the Joes get involved and then Destro sweeps in. Uh, is, so yeah, is this that's the, happening. Is this the issue in which Zartan fires an arrow and takes out Serpentor? Spoilers. That hasn't happened uh, yet, but yeah, that that is when that happens. Yeah. Okay. And that's when you would get to see Destro's face. Uh, well... Do you? I mean, there, we, we saw it a while ago when he was wearing that silly beard and whatever. There's an issue where uh, it's the same issue that Zartan takes out Serpentor where uh, Baroness is like making a, a like a, a, a plea with Destro and he's like, for you, I'd do anything or something like that. And he pulls off, he undoes his mask and you just see his face. It's when he's oh. an, an iron grenadier guy. Okay. Yeah, this this is the uh, the the introduction of the Iron Grenadiers during the Cobra Civil War, and it uh, I, it's so like non. Uh, how do I say this? It, the cover's not like this issue. The the Destro's face. 
it just happens <laughs> in you know the middle of the book destro takes his thing off uh, and they kiss uh and then he puts it back on and you never see him with it uh off again as far as i'm aware and they never really addressed it as far as like well, that was just a disguise it wasn't the real destro's face well cool i mean i definitely was the real destro's face but i don't remember that but I have the issue somewhere. It's one of the very few late uh, G.I. Joe issues that I actually own. Yeah, I have it somewhere too, but I'll, I'll get to it when I get to it. Anyhow, all right, well, that's not too surprising, I suppose. So up, up there with uh, Uncanny X-Men as the most popular comic books. So along the lines of now on sale twice a month, it was kind of exciting for me as a as a comic book collector. Um as I had mentioned before, like I kind of like this is an era where I I just kind of stopped collecting. Um, my parents were divorced, and so I would go to one place for the school year and to the other place for the summer. And the place that I would go for to uh, go to in the summer had I didn't have a very good opportunity to buy comic books. And so this is this is happening in the middle of school summer. And so once school starts back up and this is on sale twice a month, which is kind of in the thick of Inferno, then I'm like buying stuff like crazy. But a bunch of these issues like this one in particular, uh, I never had. Oh, so yeah. have you, you've, you've read this though. Uh, yeah, I read it in preparation for this podcast and that's it. Well, I mean, I, yeah, okay. But before that? Nope. Oh, really? Wow. I, I have the issue after this, but I don't have this issue. So this on sale twice a month thing goes from... September to December, and then they stop. I'm not sure why they chose those Christmassy months to gouge the comic fans. Chris Claremont had a backlog of stories, and they were trying to ramp up to this Inferno thing, would be my guess. I don't think it had anything to do with, like, I think it was the 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 big wigs of Marvel were like, these are these comics are really popular. Let's put them out twice a month and make twice as much money. And all the creators were like, what? That's a what, po- what? It's a good possibility. I mean, you're going to see like fill-in issues left and right. Yeah, I think like every other issue is a fill-in. Yeah. So Mark Silvestri can't handle this. Yeah. Whoever's doing G.I. Joe can't handle this. We know Todd McFarlane can't handle this. <laughs> is he doing Amazing Spider-Man? Yeah. Oh, boy. Although I actually think he does handle it. But then I think immediately as soon as it ends, he's like, I'm off this book. This is too much. Never doing this again. I want to do Spider-Man. My own Spider-Man. He was on for like a year or maybe two years before he, he did his own his own thing. So we are in a back alley in downtown Denver, Colorado. And the X-Men are cornered by a whole bunch of brood human mutant hybrids. Yeah. And uh, Dazzler says, uh, guys, are we in trouble? It's kind of stupid. One of the, Obviously, they're in trouble. One of the brood dudes is like, you will be. And I want to think that that's the son of Skirkle. <laughs> son of Skirkle. He's back, everybody. I forgot about Skirkle. <laughs> How could you forget about Skirkle? That is a great question. How could I forget about Skirkle? So, yeah, that's when all the powers erupt out of the brood and, yep, stuff's about to get real. 
Dazzler honey child, I just love your gift for understatement, says Rogue as a as a brood breathes fire and someone says, Cripes, they got superpowers. That's Wolverine who says that. That's why I read it in my deep voice. So, Chris Claremont is the writer. Mark Silvestri is the penciler. Dan Green is the inker. Tom Morzikowski's lettering. Glynis Oliver is the colorist. Bob Harris is the editor. And Tom DeFalco is the editor-in-chief. And uh, one of the brood dudes, I think it's the main brood dude, Harry Palmer, I think his name is, uh, he says, of course, X-Men, they're mutants just like you. Why else do you think Harry Palmer chose him to be the brood's vanguard on Earth? Colossus battles a, a brood whose name is Brickbat. And this is when I, I have to ask is like, did the brood always talk like this? Times change, Bunky. New players, whole new ball game. Is this like a is are the brood taking on like like is this reflective of the, the people that they take over? Is that a thing? So my original criticism of the brood was that they speak essentially by the dialogue boxes. They always spoke perfect English. But if you look at the way they're designed, their mouths, their lips, everything about them, you would think that they would just kind of like grunt and growl and squeal and such. So I never really liked the element that they could just speak perfect English. And now here I think it's amped up because, yes, they've taken over humans or mutants. And so now in addition to them and their powers and their form being morphed with humans, so is their dialogue, which is kind of silly if you ask me. And they all have superhero names, which is stupid. <laughs> yes, they should all be Skirkle-type names and not Brickbat and, I don't know, all the other names that they have. By the by, the name's Brickbat, because I had, like, one. Uh, a little bit more raspy would be how I would go, but... No, I'm going complete opposite what they look like. <laughs> oh, okay, my bad, my bad, my bad. Yeah, and, and they instantly know all of these people's names because this guy's like, Happy Landings, Colossus, after he punches, after Brickbat punches Colossus. Well, Skirkle left a legacy of files. Oh, d d I have no doubt of that because these brood are intimately familiar with the X-Men. Storm uh, realizes that they all have powers, um, that uh, they deliberately chose mutants to be the hosts of the infected. Um they're trapped in the alley, so she's going to try to get some air. But that's when Tension comes in. And Tension's a brood mutant who can stretch his arms. And the more you struggle, the harder he pulls or something. The path with high attention to name. Once I grab you, no matter how high you try to pull away, I'll always bring you back. And then there's another one over to you, Temptress, who's a brood woman who can do pheromony stuff and, and make you kind of bend to her will. Why, Tension, isn't that the most gentlemanly thing to do? Poor thing, she looks so confused. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she floods Storm with the pheromones, and she's like, won't you do anything I ask to make me happy? And Storm almost breaks, and she's like, yeah, no. And she flies up into the sky, and that's when Wings... No, I don't know what it, Dive Bomber, that's his name. He grows wings, and he flies up to go get Storm. Uh, the wind witch may run, but she can't escape. Dive Bomber will see to that. 
See? <laughs> See? Uh, Havoc, uh, who just winds the entire issue, is like, I've got a clear shot at him, but my plasma beam is too powerful. If I use it on a human being, I'll kill him. Well, yeah, this is sort of the moral of the issue, is the X-Men don't want to kill the, the brood because they... Are taking. They think they're killing innocent humans, and Colossus does this a little bit, and Storm thinks about it a little bit, and it's kind of over the overbearing theme, I guess. Yeah. So the X Men are fighting the hybrid Brood. Uh, eventually, Rogue is pulled in by Tensioner against Temptress, uh, and Temptress's psyche is able to overpower Rogue's psyche, to which Rogue. Now, Temptress uses her pheromone powers to corrupt Psylocke, and so now basically two X-Men uh, have switched sides. And Rogue punches the crap out of Wolverine. Not a not short stuff. Yeah, they they reason that they need to deal with the deadliest teammate who is Wolverine. So yeah, they punch the crap out of him, and he's wondering, like, how the blazes do I fight him without doing real harm? This is quite a conundrum. <laughs> Colossus and Brickbat keep fighting. They're fighting through buildings and smashing up cars. Um, and Colossus is also having the same internal struggle. Like, what am I supposed to do? He's strong. I'm strong. But I can't kill him because he's a person. Yeah. And the person inside is innocent. So I got I to gotta protect him. But I still have to defend myself. Rogue continues beating the crap out of Wolverine, who can take the punishment, but... It sure is, uh, sure is hurting them. And at this point, now the brood also are talking about how ah, those poor X Men—they can't even fight us. They're totally losing this battle because they're worried about the humans that we took over, and we're totally going to win because of that. And they, uh, some guy named Lockup, who's—I don't know why he's called Lockup. It's a stupid name. <laughs> yeah, he—he's—he's uh, he's, seems to be the same as Tension, but. I don't know. But he's lockup. He's lockup, sure. Which which I guess Wolverine is paralyzed afterwards, so maybe lockup has paralyzed powers. Sure. He's the exception to the rule. Crazy Loon will even slaughter his pals if he has to, unless lockup takes him out of the fight. <laughs> Lockup's a little slow. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so that's when Harry Palmer comes up and he says, uh... You know what happens next, X-Man, and his little brood implant finger comes out. So Wolverine is going to be broodified, which I feel like happened in the original brood adventure. Yes, it did. Yeah. That's probably just because you can, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to brood somebody, it's got to be Wolverine. Right, because he'll just heal. Uh, so they we flip our attention down to Red Rock's amphitheater, where a... Um, what do you call him? A Reverend. A, yeah. Reverend William Conover. It's going to do a spiel. He's an evangelist. Oh, uh, yes. I guess. But they don't actually call him an evangelist here. They actually paint him out to be a really uh, nice guy. So I'm not really sure where or what the story uh, goes. But yeah, they're setting up for a sunrise service. Uh, people are going to come from everywhere. Um and uh, the, some reports on the radio about a battle between some unidentified super beings in Denver. Uh, paramedic Josie Thomas, Harry Palmer's partner, hears but does not respond. She has other work to do. So uh, I honestly don't know, but maybe maybe this is the brood's plan is to 
take out the X-Men and then infect all these people, maybe? And I Rose... guess that's the implication. I mean, we don't really... I have no idea. So maybe Josie yeah. Thomas... Is Josie Thomas... She must be infected if she's Harry's partner. Yeah, she's... I mean, if we don't know that now, we just spoiled it. But she's infected. Oh, okay. I, I didn't know, Adam, so you spoiled it, not me. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought it was I thought it was made clear in the last issue, but... It might not have been. I don't know. I'm sure it was. So then we get a little bit of dialogue with William, what's his face, televangelist, evangelist. Yeah, um, William William Conover. His, uh, I guess he he is sympathetic to mutants and um, all. He basically sees all people as just kind of different and the same. And he wishes we could all understand each other. And he's worried about his wife. I get. I think his wife, his wife or his girlfriend. I don't know, um, because she has arthritis, and he wishes he could dispel the arthritis from her body, um, as you do. He wishes he, he was a mutant so that he could have potentially have the power to cure her arthritis. And she's very touched by that. She's like, you've answered all of my questions, which is why I love you. And the why doesn't matter. Yeah, he wants to. He, he's like, I, I'm not special. I can't cure you, even though I really want to. And she's like, well, just the fact that you want to is really what makes you special. Dumb, dummy. Dumb, dumb. <laughs> which so this is kind of uh, when when comic books or generally most fiction stories portray an evangelist who's setting up for a giant uh, mass. They usually paint him out as like a Reverend Stryker type person. Yeah, this is a little different. But this this dude, uh, I don't know if there's a twist, but he seems very genuine and a very respectful guy. So I support yeah. him. <laughs> If 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 there was an evangelist who like who preached the words of the Lord and like had kind of these open feelings about uh, mutants and uh, he he does actually go on to throw out kind of all that you might as well say Jewish black or woman when you say the word mutants or Martians or Martians so he gets a little ah. out there <laughs> uh, anyways enough about him we flip our attention back to denver where um there's a film crew who thought beirut was hairy this is crazy and he's narrating what's going on there's a dude made a steel duking it out with a lucasfilm reject which come on it's been like four years since there's been a star wars movie <laughs> well then they look everybody knows lucasfilm though it's like it's it's somebody that you can target like it's it's it, like I don't even what company did the actual alien movie was it Fox? Yeah, Fox I'm not did even sure. Fox did aliens, alien okay. and aliens. So really he should say like a Fox reject, but that doesn't have the doesn't have the obvious recognition factor that a Lucasfilm reject has. Like I feel like at this point we've had the the battle for Endor or whatever that TV movie was. And, oh God! <laughs> yeah, exactly right. And then we've also had Droids, the TV series, uh, and we've had Howard the Duck by this point, haven't we? I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe Howard the Duck is on the horizon, but I don't know. It's it's a reference for sure, but it's it's like it's like an old person trying to relate to young people. Like you like those Lucasfilm movies, right? I I not I I I don't know what else. What like name another. Like popular movie company from that time period. 
I don't know. I I would just exactly. I, I don't know. It, like you could you could uh, you could also say like looks like something from a Spielberg movie. Yeah, that's also something nobody would ever say. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, scariest sucker I've ever seen. But the guy in the uh, remote truck, he's like, yeah, I see the bug thing, but there's a blurry thing next to it. I don't see a metal guy. Some sort of wavy ghost image. Otherwise, Zippo. Well, he's real, Leo. He just wrecked my truck. Footchoom. His his cable cuts out and he's off the air. I'm off the air. Meanwhile, high above, uh, Storm is flying away from Wings. I can't remember what his name is. Pile driver, driver guy. I don't remember. I don't think it's either of those. Some some, some sort of driver. He's like... uh, Baby Driver. <laughs> I never saw that movie, but sure. Uh, you you talk. I'll look it up. <laughs> don't I don't remember, and I really don't care, Adam. But uh, okay, okay, that's, <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. Dive bomber. Dive bomber. So Storm is being chased by dive bomber. She feels that she is out of the temptress's sway, uh, and she. F- flying around and there's a 747 jumbo airliner that the brood's like i'm gonna wreck this airplane that'll show you now she says that dive bombers speed and agility are a match for mine but it's got me thinking technically storm doesn't have speed or agility she actually doesn't fly she just controls the wind and it kind of whips her around and i was thinking like what do you think that's like I always, yeah, I guess I didn't read too much into that, but but I always had, uh, um, or actually my version of Storm's powers are exactly as you describe, right? Like she's she's creating updrafts and um, other other winds that she can soar on. So she's not going to go very very fast, would be my impression. And yeah, think think about it. you've been out in like a gusty storm and you you get blown around and stuff. Imagine how much force that wind would take to actually lift you off the ground. She, I mean, she's had a lot of practice, but I just like, I can't imagine that must be really difficult to figure out. I, I would believe that she's got expert control over the wind and, and she has had the years of practice to be able to soar on them. But my thought would be she wouldn't be very fast because there's only so fast you can go on the on on the wind, and she wouldn't be very agile. She wouldn't be able to turn on a dime. She'd she'd be able to kind of like I don't know like a kite, kind of like gust off to the right, gust off to the left, but right. not but not like like just crazy do like a one eighty and flip around. Would be my impression uh, of her powers. So so what we're saying is that what we're saying is that dive bomber kind of sucks. Yeah, if he's uh, a match for her own, that means he's just, he's like a kite. He's just, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I have the power of kite flight. Just go wherever the wind takes me. He's a brood with butterfly wings, so. (laughs) Wait, wasn't that a Smashing Pumpkins song? (laughs) Uh, Maybe. So, yeah, he rips apart uh, a couple of engines and even says, like, oh, I hear these crates will stay airborne even on two engines. Let's see how it'll do with only one. I don't know why the evil brood doesn't just destroy all four engines. I don't know if it's to occupy Storm so he can get back to the business of being a bad brood. Well, he's trying to get Storm like she's she's just avoiding him and he wants her to come back so he can grab her. 
So she, of course, she has to deal with the... So she first she hurls the engines as far from the city as possible, and then she focuses her attention on trying to create some updrafts so that the airplane has some wind to fly on, um, which she does ultimately. At the last moment, she's able to create a huge updraft, which safely lands the airplane. Control tower can't believe it. Now, does she punch out dive bomber? I can't really tell what's happening there. I don't... Sure. <laughs> dive bomber gets hit by something you but see, i can't really tell you what it is you see a kathau um and they're really it almost looks like he was hit by her cape but obviously that's a perspective thing um i, I assume she punched him with her right hand as she was flying with the airplane mm. uh she also says i wish i possessed wolverine's claws monster so i could deal with you as you deserve permanently very unstorm like thing to say she's mad. This guy almost is like killing a plane full of people. No, I'm with you. I think this is the arc that, that kind of comes full circle at the end of the issue. Whereas all the other X-Men are like, Ooh, we got to, these humans, we got to, got to be careful as we fight them. It seems like storms like the hell with these <laughs> evil creatures. <laughs> so she manages to land the plane safely. And, uh, she's puts down a sprinkle of rain to keep the fires out and everybody escapes from the, the the plane and she feels good about that and then dive bomber sneaks up behind her and says i like your style babe you'll make an aces addition to the brood team the brood team no 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 team team meanwhile in god's country as wild and free and elementally beautiful as its fairest daughter and we've got like little uh cloud panels here so we're probably dreaming Madeline Pryor is totally flying around with wings. Yep. So we're probably dreaming. <laughs> no, nah, this is what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. We last saw her and she hit her head. And um, oh, and there's Cyclops. Yeah, yeah, this is totally happening. Yeah, real time. She's in Alaska. She's by her house. Scott's there with the baby. She's so happy. Uh, oh, baby cable. She. <laughs> Spoilers. She she uh, was born to fly, but she gave it all up for this man that she loves that made her complete and this baby. And, and they're so happy together and they take walks with the baby and the baby's a toddler now and, and everything's happy. Well, that made things even better. There was a future of infinite possibilities in her joy, the rush of the moment she never thought to consider that some might be bad. So are we to infer that this that we just watched is an alternate reality or just a dream. I mean, I guess it could be either. No, she doesn't have wings. <laughs> I, I'm well, I guess you're right. I mean, I mean, yes, the, the essence of this, this was a future possibility. Not literally. Right. Not but, with the wings, of course. But, but yeah, you know, so uh, certainly they didn't know. <laughs> she didn't, nobody knew, uh, Jean Grey was going to come back to life and, other things would happen. So we flip to present time. The last we saw her, she had punched a monitor and we returned to that gateway is squatting over her. And it looks like when she fell backwards, she hit her head on something. Cause it seems like there's quite a bit of blood under her head. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's, she's maybe in a bad way. It's, she's definitely dreaming. So, yeah, back in the dream reality, she sees Gateway and she's like, what are you doing here? You don't exist. Go away. Leave my family alone. So this is either another aspect of Gateway's powers or 
uh, Madeline kind of has a vague idea of what's going, where she is. And she probably, she may, she, maybe she, she senses gateway is near her and that's, that's pulling her, him into the dream. I feel like it's the latter. I don't think there's anything supernatural or power about this. I think the vague awareness and just as dreams do a little bit of reality, uh, causes your dream to spiral out of control. Yeah, I think so. So we see, uh, we see Cyclops turn from Scott Summers into kind of classic Cyclops. And... Well, first Gateway attacks them. Well, that's true. He's whips that's kind up of a big deal. Bull roar, but is yep. he attacking? Well, it says in our waking reality, this opens a teleportal gateway. Here, it has other abilities, and it blows up their house. Yeah, okay. You're so right. I don't know if he's attacking them or not, but he just blew up their house. And Scott even says, he blew up our house. Behind me, Madeline, look after the baby. I'll take care of this creep. And he uses his optic blast to shoot Gateway, who turns into a um, featureless female form. Yeah, it's like one of those um, one of those statues at the mall that man- they put clothes on. A mannequin, a yeah. A mannequin, yes. The uh, the mannequin reaches out to Scott for the yearning supplication, and Scott's like, "Yeah, well, yeah, I'll totally make out with this mannequin." Uh, keep in mind the man- mannequin's got no eyes, nose, or mouth; it's featureless, so he's basically just making out with, I don't the know, a mannequin. A mannequin, yeah, with no lips. You know, haven't you ever done that? Been trapped in the mall overnight? You know, there's zombies around, and you may never see another human being again. So, mannequins start to look good. <laughs> uh yeah, uh, that's what happens every time I go to the Gap. Actually, don't mannequins have faces now? Oh, totally. Mannequins have always I, had faces. I guess they do. Yeah, yeah. they don't have hair generally. You usually put like a wig or a hat on them, but generally they have eyes, nose, and a mouth. Okay, yeah. Mm. They don't make mannequins like this. This is less of a mannequin and more of a uh, like like a art guy. Like you're trying to figure out how to draw the human Ford uh, form. You get one of those little like uh, wooden dummies that you can maneuver. Yeah. I don't know what those are called either, but this is what that's like. Yes. I feel like this has been or should be a Doctor Who villain. Oh, yeah. And somehow like... The alien is this form, and when it makes contact with you, it, like, absorbs your features, and that's, like, its power. And the doctor's got to do something to to save the day, as he does. But anyways, Cyclops makes... As she, as she does. Cyclops, oh, you know, I'm not on that season yet, so... <laughs> the, they could, it could be called the Mannequin. Oh. Or Mannequill. <laughs> He makes out with this uh, with an eager, wholehearted passion he never felt for her, i.e. Madeline. And then he grabs Madeline's wings and says, hey, you can't have these anymore. You're not special like us. You're just human. You're not a cool mutant. And give me my baby back. Give me my baby back, baby back ribs. And um, then he pulls off her hair. Then he pulls off her lips. Then he pulls off her nose. Then he pulls off her eyes. And then he puts them all on the mannequin, and it's Jean Grey. I love Jean Grey, Maddie. Always have, always will. When I thought she was dead, I felt like someone had ripped out my heart. It was wrong of me to turn to you to take her place. Never meant to hurt you. But once I discovered Jean was alive, I had to go back to her. I'll never lose her again. And they turn into their X-Factor uniforms with the baby at their side, and Scott says, goodbye, Maddie. And they take off into, I don't know, the sunset, and Madeline is a formless body, the same formless body she originally saw in the desert, abandoned, alone, a nowhere place. 
She would scream, but she has no mouth, which I have to wonder is a reference to Harlan Ellison's I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream. I don't know. Maybe. Meanwhile, back in Denver. Did you know Harlan Ellison wrote an issue of Daredevil? I did not. He might have written other comics as well. Do you know who Harlan Ellison is? I've heard the name. He wrote the uh, the Star Trek episode that is like everybody's favorite, the one where they go back in time. The Trouble with Tribbles? No, the one where they go back in time. Oh, you mean the uh, pl- uh, the the uh, Deep Space Nine episode where they go back in time and they're actually in the Trouble with Tribbles episode? I love that episode. <sighs> oh, wait, wait. Uh, do, oh, wait, is it the... the that that is a good episode though. It's a great episode, but are you talking about the city on the side of the City tomorrow? on the Edge of Forever? Yeah, 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 yeah. Where, where they go in through the, the the portal that they jump through and it's all like I don't and, uh, and Bones gets all like uh hooked on drugs and he's like weren't running around the city all crazy. <laughs> I uh the episode that's classic Star Trek and I honestly should rewatch it because I don't remember it as much as I remember a piece of the action. Do you remember that? Oh one? yeah, that's a good one too. Yeah, it's a great one. They that's go back. Where the, do they, the, it's the a 50, gangsters, right? Is it? Do they go back in time, or do they just go to a planet that like is stuck in the fifties because they a book showed up yeah, on a probe think, or something? Exactly. I think it's like a planet that's obsessed with in earth, earth culture. Yeah, that's a good episode. Yeah, there's a lot of good episodes. Yeah, good old Star Trek. We should do a Star Trek podcast. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we should do that. So anyways, back to the X-Men uh, in Denver. Havoc is still, he's like, oh, everyone's pulling their own weight. Some X-Men, uh, some some X-Man, some power. I can flatten a mountain, but I don't dare use my weakest beam. On an so they've been fighting person. for like, I don't know, 45 minutes. Havoc hasn't done a Havoc thing. Havoc has done nothing. <laughs> They see some lightning off in the distance, and uh, Dive Bomber has a uh, storm. They crash through Reverend William Conover's billboard. So, be like he's definitely going to be a part of next issue. <laughs> and uh, Dive Bomber's like, look, I got a prize for you. He's speaking to Harry Palmer, and he's like, well... That's great, but I'm not going to implant Storm with a warrior egg as I did with Wolverine. Oh no, the leader of the X-Men, or X-Men, will be host for our queen. And that's when Havoc unleashes his powers and kills Dive Bomber. No, Jim. He And simultaneously behind them, the building, an abandoned warehouse collapses where Colossus and Brickbat were fighting. And Colossus comes out of the flames and throws, I think a dead brick bat onto the ground. Yeah. They're 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 He's dead. Cause yeah. they, in the next panel, they say dive bomber. Now brick bat. We can still take him Harry easy. That's rogue. On my battleground rogue. Mm, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just, just pointing out. It's so important that normally rogues powers after 15, 20 minutes, it seems in comic book time kind of revert and she regains control. She might be a little groggy, but in this case, she is still corrupted by Temptress, uh, as is Psylocke. This is permanent because because of the brood? I don't know. I don't know if it's permanent, but it seems to be a lot longer than normal, which is fine. Um, but they're like, all right, well, let's. we got Wolverine, so let's go. Regroup on me. Those heroes want blood. We'll give them their own. And this is when the whole kind of theme comes to a conclusion where... 
the person that Havoc killed turns into a human and Havoc is like, oh, no, I killed a human. I feel terrible. And Storm steps up and says, whoever this person was, his life ended the moment he was implanted with a brood egg. You put him out of his misery and perhaps saved others from sharing his fate. This man deserves to be mourned, Alex, but it was Harry Palmer who killed him, not you. And those yeah. others, the rest of the brood gang, what about them? <laughs> if one of them survives, my friend, especially the queen host, the earth is doomed. And in two weeks, glory day. Glory day. Yeah. That sounds like it might have something to do with Reverend William Conover. On the back of this issue is an advertisement for Metal Gear. I always like this the, advertisement. The first one? Yes. It's got like all of the various gears, like the body armor and the receiver and the missile launcher. That was a great game. Yeah, it doesn't really hold up very well, but it was. Well, I, I always liked the game when I was a kid. I think, I think, I mean, do any of them hold up really well? Oh, man, Super Mario Brothers 3 is still amazing. And 2, and 1. Yeah, but Super Mario Brothers 3, when you compare it to, like, Super Mario World... No. Like... Nope. Nope. Wrong. They're, they <laughs> are both equally uh, excellent games in their own right and of their own generation. But I... Maybe I'm looking at it with uh, uh, rose-colored glasses, but when I play Super Mario Brothers 3, it's like, this game holds up. There are other games that that I liked as a kid that I put in. I'm like, I don't think I could ever like Zelda two. I don't think I could ever just put that in and play it. Cause, uh, I don't think it holds up, stands the test of time. And quite honestly, this might be a little controversial. The first Zelda think it's a little rough. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think, I think the games that I go back to are like Mega Man two. I think I could play that anytime. Um, and then, I, I think of the of the initial three, Super Mario Brothers number two was my favorite. Oh, I I Super Mario there is people will say, like, what's your favorite Super Mario? And I'm like, I, I can't choose because if if not for the first Super Mario Brothers, like that 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 changed everything, Adam. Like we went from yeah, single screen. The, the first one's not very it's just not very good. No, it's amazing. Still amazing. And and it's not amazing in that like look at all these things you can discover. Now it's more of like how fast can I beat this game? <laughs> because now it's more of a skill test. Uh, and Super Mario Brothers 2 is very creative and, and fun and colorful and everything. And Super Mario yeah, Brothers but do you 3. use the warps? In first? Super Mario 1. I don't know. Depends on how. Because it, it, it's only real skill when you get to World 8. World 8 is freaking hard. World 8 is... I can general With warps, um, I can generally make it to... I think eight three on a guy, and then there's some really uh, complex jumps that I usually mess up on. How far can you get in the Japanese Super Mario Two? <laughs> I don't think I, I've ever gotten past the first stage. I think I've gotten to World Two One, and that's as far as I could get. Yeah, that, that's sad. <laughs> you know the the history behind that, though, right? Yeah, I do. Yeah. For those of you that don't out in the audience, they, the the idea was that Super Mario Brothers 2 was effectively worlds 9 through, what, 16. So yeah. the first stage would just be a direct continuation off of 8, so it's really freaking hard. Uh, yeah. I'm, uh, yeah. 
Uh, I think that would be a fun YouTube video to watch. There's got to be some person that's made a video of them just flying through those stages with pitch perfect jumps and oh, definitely stuff. But I tried. I was like, well, I'm pretty good at Super Mario Brothers, and I, I no, can't do it. Too hard. Pretty good doesn't cut it. Nope, not at all. Anyhow, uh, there you go. So, Broods. Part, part Broods two, are back. Part two of three, I guess. Yeah. So, let us know what, uh, I don't know, do we have any questions this time around? I, I don't know. What, what, what do you think I, of the Brood? Yeah, no, <laughs> screw the Brood. The Broods suck. I mean, this stuff is okay, and I kind of you like... Know, the- the brood didn't always suck. The brood were cool the first time around. Now they're just kind of annoying. I don't know that I agree with that. I feel like if we were to re-listen to those episodes, you probably enjoyed them more than I did. And I think my biggest complaints were that they were uh, Shi'ar sisters' loyal subjects or pets or whatever. And I didn't like how they could talk perfect English. I don't like how they're superheroes now. Or they have, they have superpowers. Well, I feel like uh, uh, Chris Claremont's like, okay, how do I have the X-Men who are dead fight a villain that's not a brand new villain, but is a villain that doesn't care whether or not they're dead or alive? Ah, I know. Brood. Yeah, maybe. And and how do I... So there's a nostalgia factor. Um, One could argue, is it even a nostalgia factor? Because it hasn't been like six years since the Brood uh, have been a thing. It depends. I, I I would say that it is a nostalgia factor, but at the same time, I'm not really sure how nostalgia works in the 80s. So here's my, my thought is that a quarter of the audience that was for the brood is probably off to college, doesn't care about comic books. You have another quarter of your audience, yep. which came in way after the brood. And then maybe, maybe half your audience, maybe, is uh, collectors from from real brood. I doubt that, though. I don't know question well then then you have your handful of people that are new but have also read through the back issues yeah that's true comic book uh, uh stores are popping up all over the place the like american comics and mile high comics are selling back issues it's probably not too tough to get a, a huge back issue collection of x-men right now it's probably not too expensive uh, when I was a, a kid, you know, it, I would always look at those because, you know, th- there would be a page of all of these comic books. And I'd be like, oh, I'm going to buy these. But it'd always be like $3 for an issue. And I'm like, I don't got that kind of money. <laughs> $3 was a lot of money back then. Nowadays, nah. Yeah. Oh, man, I wanted to buy a, um, there was a Stanley, um, I'm sure there's plenty of them, but it was like a like a people or a time or some special Stanley issue where they're going to go through the history of Stanley, and it was a magazine format. And uh, my wife's like, "You should buy, you should buy that." And I was like, "That's like, do you know how much a magazine costs these days?" And she's like, it's "Probably like fifteen bucks." <laughs> she's like, "No," and I'm like, "I didn't even have to look at it." And I was like, "It's fourteen ninety nine." And sure enough, I look at it. Yep, it's fourteen. Like novels don't cost $15. This is a 64-page magazine. It's $15. And I'm like, you know what? The stuff in here is going to be told over and over and over and over again. And at some point, somebody's going to put out a really nice, comprehensive book of Stanley, and then I'll buy that, and I'll read it, and it'll be amazing. But until then, I'm not going to buy any of these quick cash grabs. Oh, you should buy uh, his comic book autobiography that he wrote a couple years ago. That's really good. 
I I didn't even know it existed. I I should pick that up. Yeah, definitely. That's it's uh it's 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 surprisingly good. Like it's a lot of the stories uh, that you've heard with a lot of stories that you haven't heard. So it's it's a good old fashioned Stanley telling of his own history. Uh, this the only Stanley book I have. I don't remember the title of it, but it it's a it's not an autobiography. It's just a biography, and it really kind of paints him as like kind of a slimy used car salesman. And, <laughs> and I don't know if if that's if there's truth to that. There's probably elements of truth to that, but it didn't really picture or didn't really paint him in a positive light. And I just wonder if maybe that book too is also kind of a cash grab. Eh, well, it was written a long time ago, uh, and I, I don't know. I I read it and I was like, well, you know, some of it was interesting, but I don't know. Just kind of talked about like his only desire was to like the sell the movie rights and and be, move to Hollywood and become rich and become famous, which is more or less true. But the way they they tell it, it just, just kind of paints him not in a positive light. And I'm like, I don't know, maybe, but I don't want to believe that about Stanley. Yeah, do you really want to own that book? I read it, and you know, like I said, I would like I would like something like what you just described, something that by Stan about Stan. I don't know, and like I said, something's going to come out that's going to be like a, like a comprehensive from all sides. I imagine that you would have contributions from all of the artists and writers and uh, industry professionals that either worked with him, for him, around him, uh, and it'll probably be a loving tribute. That's what I would like to read. That uh, the history of Marvel Comics that we sometimes mention. That big book has a lot about Stanley, especially in the early years. I own that. I just haven't read it yet. It's good. Yeah, I, I've been told <laughs> by multiple folks, you included. <laughs> so there you have it. Uh, let us know what your favorite Stanley book is. Uh, whether or not Nintendo games hold up, and what do you think about the Brood in the eighties? You can do so by visiting us at www.xmenpodcast.com, facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast, Twitter. You can follow us at Danger Room Go. Email us, DangerRoom at xmenpodcast.com. Go out to iTunes, go to the podcast section, search for Danger Room. or the first podcast that'll show up. You can subscribe to us, uh, leave us some feedback, leave us some stars if you so choose. You can call us at 501-GET-X-MEN. That's 501-438-9636. And instead of typing your message to us, you can use your vocal cords to tell us your message. Our theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfield, and uh, we're also on Patreon if you want to give us some money. That's www.patreon.com forward slash danger room. Adam, I, I've not been out to our Patreon page, but there better be a graphic of like us panhandling on the internet. <laughs> I, uh, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess this is a little different. We we provide content and ask for money rather than, you know, Panhandler just like holds out a hat saying, God damn. Help me. Help me. Yeah, we're not asking for your, well, we are asking for your help. <laughs> Give so. us your money. <laughs> uh, but More or less. But seriously. Um, yeah. It's a amazing, fantastic, incredible, a marvelous memoir by Stan Lee. Okay. Uh, maybe one of our Patreon, no, I don't think we could do that. I was going to say maybe one of our Patreon reward levels could be, um, us reading a chapter of that, but that would be copyright violation. So we can't do that. 
I have some ideas for reward levels. We'll talk about it off pod. There you go, everybody. Spoilers and and not not even spoilers, but uh, something to look forward to. Adam has ideas about how you can give us more money. (laughs) (laughs) But in the meantime, let's talk a little bit about uh, some other comic books. Uh, One such comic book is X-Factor number 32, in which X-Factor battles fake Avengers... It's very uninteresting. In fact, there's only one interesting thing in here. I have to find it. It's very it's towards the end. And I like the fact that Boom Boom is listening to a band called, um, where is it? Crippled Puppies. Yeah, and I was trying, I was like, is that a reference to Skinny Puppy? Cause skinny, I don't think so. Okay. Skinny Puppy in the late 80s? Come on. Skinny Puppy? Chris Claremont, Chris, Claremont, Chris Claremont did not know who Skinny Puppy was oh, in the well, 80s. He maybe he's a, you know. Or wait, no, this is Louis Simonson. Yeah, yeah, maybe Louis Simonson's like, yeah, maybe. I really like this industrial stuff. Could be. Uh, and Skinny Puppy, you know, they were all about animal rights. And I'm serious, they were. So maybe, I don't know maybe, anything about Skinny Puppy. Maybe she was, uh, uh, I think you're probably, I'm sure it's just a coincidence. I'm sure it's just supposed to be a knockoff of a punk band because... Boom Boom, despite not looking like a punk, I think is an adult's interpretation in the 80s of what a punk would look like. You betcha. (laughs) I really feel like she would be listening to Tiffany with her outfit. (laughs) No, the only thing that I felt made uh, was of any value in this issue was one panel on page 27, where in a sub-basement of an immense skyscraper in Chicago... Uh, conflicting realities meet and make their accommodation. Accommodation, so it's like a supercomputer is interfacing with limbo and space. I guess that's weird too, because the the the, uh, the demon that is being contacted kind of calls out the person contacting him out. It's like, how are you doing this? This is weird. Yeah, so it's most unusual for us in limbo to receive a call from your dimension. That alone is just, that explains it all. That line is ridiculous. Yeah, and so that's the Earth guy, I think. No, or, that's that's Nastira. No, but N- Nastir is like on a spaceship. No, no. Yeah, he's the one on, no, in, he, in the power he, pack issue, he was in a spaceship. And he's like, oh, I got to talk to Sim in Limbo. Yeah, he might be on a spaceship, but right now he's in he's in darkness. What? He, he's, he's all the text that has the sketchy border around the the word balloons yeah but he's not in limbo well i guess i guess he's how did he get to limbo if he's in limbo can he be in a spaceship in limbo well it what is limbo i thought limbo was like like a realm that that uh uh what's her face iliana had control over like it's not eh. you can't like go to limbo <laughs> Sure you can. I don't think you can. I don't think you could like get on a spaceship and fly to Limbo. I think Limbo is a realm that that only Ilyana can go back and forth between. And but I think it's 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 also pretty big. I mean, we know that there was like Storm was living there, and it, there were like all a, sorts of. It's like a planet. I mean, I'll give you that, but it it doesn't it doesn't have like a solar system in its own universe. Yeah, but you can have a ship on there. Yeah, I don't know. there was nothing from that power pack issue to say that Nastira couldn't not have been in limbo. Uh, the there was nothing specific like he was like, I'm totally not in limbo right now, everybody. Except that there's been no evidence or information set up that would allow for any other communication in or out of limbo. 
or spaceship. I don't know. I don't know. I don't like it. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> That's all right. I mean, I agree with you. Ultimately, Nastier ends up in limbo, I guess. But because he's in, in Power Package, like, I got to go meet with my buddy Sim, which would mean that he's coming from somewhere other than limbo to go meet with his buddy Sim. Yeah, but doesn't. What, what about in that issue of uh, New Mutants where. Or no, was it X Men? Where uh, Ileana, the, the the mansion gets taken over by Russian fairy tales. Yeah, Baba Yaga. So that was explained as as the uh, the more Dark Child uses her powers, the more cracks uh, are created within Limbo, which is allowing things to slip out, such as right. So pers- Nastira is totally just slipping out. I could have sworn there was like a guide with her who would travel with her at some point, but I don't. I don't remember. As far as I know. Nastier's first appearance that I'm aware of is in that power pack issue. Well, who knows when that power pack issue came out in oh, relation to this. Okay. Fair. This could be the first. Um, I think they're both dated September. In, so. it, in any event. Uh, all right. So I, I guess it's, it's a little less weird. Cause I thought it was a bridging between limbo human, this weird guy and space. Like I thought all three of them were on like this giant conference call. It's still it's still pretty ridiculous. It's still pretty weird. So he he's a he's a guy that has access to certain arcane rituals based on the notes of the 15th century mystic Blasco, uh, and that's when this like, oh okay, that, well, that makes sense. So what what do you need there? And uh, he's like, I I um you are a demon, and I have enemies and a need for power. Uh, I offer my soul in return. He's like, well, I don't want a soul, but I want babies. I want all the babies. <laughs> <laughs> Got any babies? <laughs> this this dude uh, looks like a zombie in a cloak. And he's like, I know the location of many mutant children, including an orphanage that specializes in them. So honestly, I'm not sure what this dude's arc is. I mean, I guess we'll probably find out. Um, yeah, but, I would assume so. But he he's... He's like, I've been keeping that a secret because I thought maybe I might need them, but this this seems like the right opportunity. So if you want them, you could have them. <laughs> and he's like, all right, cool. I want them. I got babies. You want babies? I got babies. I got an orphanage. Uh, a bargain. Tell me where to find these infants, and I and a steer will protect you from total destruction at your great enemy's hands. Um, and I don't, I don't know, I don't know who this dude's enemies are. But there you go. That's probably the I'm only... assuming this is Cameron Hodge. Oh, it could be. Yeah, that's maybe. my guess. I could be I could be totally wrong. No, it makes sense. The technology that's, that's and guess. all that stuff. I am gonna go with it's a it's totally Cameron Hodge. I have no idea if it is or is not, but uh, we'll find out. Or we won't. Otherwise the rest of X Factor was was bad. There was like aliens that, that pretend to be the Avengers and then they fight and the kids are like we want to help, and they're going to send us to boarding school, and meh. Well, these 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 aliens come from a very early issue of Journey into Mystery with Thor, where uh, and they kind of recap the issue in like four panels, and uh, at the end of it, Thor they're they're um, shape changers, and Thor tells them they have to become trees, and that's how he leaves them. Because as trees, they won't be able to do anything about it. And that's what's great about 60s comics. Adam, I don't care. <laughs> well, you should. Uh, Beast is back. 
that's kind of important. We, I mean, we covered that last. You got like kissed. Well, no, last we left off where like Beast almost died, and Bobby has brought Beast to ship, and he's unconscious. Yeah, he's not back. He's he's just on the ship. He's not like. And Cyclops and Jean Grey also are back because they were off in wherever they were. So like X Factor's back together again. So yeah. some stuff happened. The band is back together, everybody. Yay. I don't think Skyclops or Cyclops has more than two or three things. Skyclops. Skyclops. <laughs> uh, we also read uh, Marvel Comics Presents Wolverine. It's a fun little issue. We get the, the well, Wolverine's wearing a patch. And I don't remember him um, getting like an eye gouged out or anything. I'm not sure why he's wearing this patch. Uh, it's a disguise, Adam. It's, it's, they're on the, they're on the ocean. <laughs> They don't need a disguise. I don't actually know if it's a disguise. I, I I think it's because something happened to his eye, but maybe he got stabbed in the face by the poker guy. Yeah, sure. With the blades. Um, we get some of Jesse Hohen's backstory. We find out what happened to her after Roma sent her back to the bank. Uh, she kind of got ostracized because she was the only survivor of the family. But uh, she kind of didn't care. And she went around looking for another job, and she still didn't care. And then she started kind of getting into criminal activities, and she still didn't care. And it turns out that the – what was that kid's name? Joy Boy? Pretty Boy. Pretty Boy. The Pretty Boy uh, attempt to make her into one of the Reavers um, kind of only half took. So she's not quite like them – She's not quite like herself, and now she's called herself the Tiger. So she's pretty much got Asperger's? What is that? She's got no empathy, basically. Oh, is that is that what Asperger's is? Yeah, that's partially it. There's there's a lot more to it than just that, but that's that's one element. Um, I guess so, yeah. I mean, that's that's sort of what it seems like. She's like busting heads and stuff. Well, I, I mean, I don't think that's part of it. I think just the, the, the not caring. And it's probably... Uh, uh, much farther extreme than the typical Asperger's case, but well, I mean, I guess she cares because she's seeking revenge. Uh, she she discovers through some uh, research and detective work that the Reavers were actually hired by uh, somebody who was basically trying to shake up the bank where she worked, and they were they were hired by another bank, uh, the Meridian Bank, and um, Roche. This Roche guy who was in the first couple of issues of Marvel Comics Presents is was is like the head of that or something like that. Or, or working with Meridian. So he engaged the Reavers. And now she wants revenge on Roche or Roach. And she wants to take over the criminal syndicate, I guess. And Wolverine's like, then you're going to have a problem with me. And she's like, well, I saved your life. So deal. Yeah. So they board her boat and everybody on her boat's dead except for some guy named Lee and she runs into the cabin to save Lee Wolverine's like no I smell something and then the whole boat blows up boom skaboom she says uh, the name tiger the reavers gave me the name in fun now the joke's on them for this tiger has teeth and claws and we'll use them yeah uh, yep so yeah Wolverine and, and tiger are dead now so that's how Marvel Comics Presents ends. 
that joke never gets old. The man thing uh, story is, is super weird, but I mean, I guess it would be. There's like a bikini girl who gets absorbed by man thing, and then she goes through like just just craziness as as I don't know. It's crazy. It's hard to describe. Have it, you been reading all of it? Because no. it kind of like there's a there's sort of a government plot to create monsters for some reason, but mostly it's just like a thing that you you read and you kind of absorb. You don't necessarily really know what's going on, but you kind of kind of look at the colors and the drawings and you're like yeah that's 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 cool uh yeah the only thing i saw was the bikini girl i was like huh i wonder what's going on with this story <laughs> and then i read it and i was like well this is weird i mean i liked it uh but no i have not read the whole thing i've been i've been reading it just for just for giggles but uh it's weird it, it doesn't get any less weird it might even be more weird oh it's very weird uh, New Mutants number 67, we get introduced to this guy named Spider, who's an intergalactic spider guy. He's got got lots of legs, and he's got uh, – he owns people. Apparently, he bought the rights to Lila Shanae. Ah, Lila Shanae is in this issue. <laughs> and uh, and he also has this girl named Gossamer. And, of course, where there's an episode of Lila Cheney, you know there's going to be – a uh, rock concert and and spider's gang kidnaps lila at the rock concert which um cannonball is there the demons eventually show up because they see it on tv and um through they go after spider and her spaceship and gossamer this new girl helps them because she also has a spaceship so they can track spider down there was one other thing that i thought was interesting this was New Mutants number 67, right? Yeah. There's a scene where they go to Limbo and Sim's like taunting them. Yeah. And uh, I read this like three weeks ago, so I don't <laughs> really remember what happened. They they talk about how um, Limbo is getting worse and worse because Ilyana's getting worse and worse. And they actually go to Limbo to change. So there's a scene of them putting on their costumes and their underwear in Limbo as Sim watches. It's weird. Um, oh yeah, uh, Yuliana keeps referring to the fact that uh, Destiny said she had to leave the world in order to stop the something from happening. Destiny prophesied that I had to leave the Earth, or my willfulness would destroy it. And so, at the end of the issue, when they're about to leave the Earth, they're like, "This must be what Destiny was talking about." Now we can leave the Earth and go save Lila Cheney. Yay! Um, there's also a scene where they sneak up to the door that and Magneto's on the phone with the Hellfire Club. That's annoying. Yeah, and they misinterpret what he's saying or something. I don't. It's everything he says is super vague, and it could mean like anything. Um, but it is pretty cryptic. I can't find it. It happens. Are you sure that wasn't last issue? I think that was last issue. There it is. Dark days oh. are coming. Yes, I agree. There are rumblings. As of course, as White King, I would authorize power neutralizers, but and then they go off. Power neutralizers? That must mean for us. <laughs> Let's get out of here. That's in this issue? Yeah. Hmm. It's uh page nine eighteen and nineteen. Yeah. I don't. Oh, there it is. I no, I don't see it. I'm looking at the uh, the omnibus. No. So well, 
I don't know what page it's it's in in the omnibus. It's page seven hundred. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, anyways, I uh, I believe you. I'm that's good because I made that all up. Here's what really happens in New Mutants number sixty-seven. You're you're a jerk. I'm the I'm the best jerk you've ever known. All right then. Well, apparently uh, Stanley also wrote a book called Excelsior: The Amazing Life of Stan Lee. I haven't read that one, but the comic book one's really good. Do you think that when William Shatner passes away? Tech war is going to take off in a big bad way. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. I've read the first four books of Tech War. It's got nowhere to go. It's <laughs> just like I, I don't know. Maybe it'll sell a few more copies because I think that's generally the way it works. Anytime a musician dies, people like have to find all their books and stuff. But you know what will sell is his autobiographies. Like he 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 had a several ghost written Star Trek things and his own career and all sorts of stuff. Those will take off. Hmm. Yeah. Tech war. No, no. Okay. Although, you know, you should, you should pick up tech war. I'm, I think they made, didn't they make comic book adaptations of tech war? They did. And I, there, I think there was like a TV series. No, I think there was no way. I think there was a limit, like a briefly limited tech war TV series. Did he write it or did he have help? He must have had help. He had help with everything he ever wrote. Okay. <laughs> All he right. had a he had a ghostwriter. So I don't I don't know how much of it he actually wrote or how much of it was I've got this idea, see? <laughs> and I just want things to happen. Can you do this for me? Got it. All right then everybody. Uh I don't, I don't do you have anything else, Adam? Tech War is a North American television series um, based on the Tech War novels ghostwritten by Ron Gouliar from Outlines by William Shatner. So they pretty much call it there. <laughs> wow. Uh, premiered January 17, 1994 and ended on February 9th, 1996. It lasted two years, Jeremy. Wow. There's two years worth of Tech War for you to go find right now. I feel like... William Shatner's original pitch to his ghostwriter was probably something like this. Um, space, <laughs> technology, and a war. I think that would make a good book. And that was it. My mom bought me for Christmas one year a Star Trek book where it takes place after the Star Trek Next Generation movie with William Shatner. Oh, yeah. I think you've told me about this. Where William Shatner comes back or uh, uh, Captain Kirk comes back to life. And uh, this is his final, final adventure with Captain Picard. It seems and interesting. I read it. Didn't you say <laughs> that not... William Shatner like wrote it or wrote the outline or whatever? He wrote, he is, uh, he is the credited author. Um, and as far as I know, there isn't a ghostwriter on this one, but oh, who wow. knows? I, I, I don't know. Well. It, how would you know? You'd have to use like an internet or something. <laughs> Every anything would have to be better than how he died in generations or generations for that matter. But that's the thing I think is like if and I don't I haven't read a lot of the books. Um, honestly, I think I've read one, but uh, <laughs> and it was probably Deep Space Nine, and it was probably by Peter David. But um, 
I think he came back in the books and there was a whole series of Captain Picard or Captain Kirk in the next generation years books. And this is one of those. They weren't all by William Shatner, but this one was. Oh, the, and this one's like Captain Kirk and Captain Picard fight the Borg. Wow. I, I kind of want to see that. I don't want to read it. I want somebody to make that. And I think the Borg Queen from the next Next Generation movie is also in it. So it's like he watched the the two Next Generation movies, the first two, and was like, I'm going to write a book based on this. I feel like right now would be the right time for William Shatner and Patrick Stewart uh, to just, just record dialogue. Just tons and tons and tons and tons of dialogue. And then creative people can take that dialogue and make animated series out of them. Because you can't, you can't have 82-year-old William Shatner running around in the captain's uniform anymore. But you could do another animated series. Did you see those um, Batman animated series that came out, the, the, the uh, Adam West ones? No. Oh, no, I heard, I heard about them, though. They made two movies, and they were kind of in the style of the 60s. And yeah. they have... Adam West and Burt Ward, Burt Ward as Batman and Robin. Yeah. And, and, um, and it's great. Cause you know, they, they look like their younger selves, uh, cause it's a cartoon. Right. And then in the second one, they face two face who was never in the sixties cartoon. And the actor that they got to play two face uh, is William Shatner. Was it William Shatner? They didn't, it get... was William Shatner. Oh, and not only that, but, uh, because it takes place in the 60s, it's young William Shatner, oh. which is genius. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So they use young William Shatner's likeness and old yeah. William Shatner's voice. Yeah. I, I do kind of want to see that. Oh, that sounds amazing. That's pretty cool. It totally is. Okay. Well, we've tangented. Yes. So so you asked me uh, if I had anything to add. No, no. Nothing. Okay, perfect. Well, until <laughs> next time, everybody, my name is Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the danger room is closed. <laughs> <laughs>